0: five minutes to just sit together, let all the words dissolve. We'll remember what we need to, and you'll be reminded. So let's bring our attention first to our bodies. Closing your eyes if you feel safe. bringing the attention to the breath or wherever you usually bring your attention to begin your practice and allowing your attention to touch the breath or wherever you begin resting our attention there for a while. So first of all, before I introduce all of us up here, I'd like to say welcome to all of you. It's really wonderful to see many familiar faces and also some, uh, quite a few new faces in the group, and we're looking forward to getting to know all of you. I just wanted to acknowledge that from the very first time you made your intention and thoughts to be here, we know that there have been many details you've had to take care of, uh, many arrangements that you've had to make with your family, your workplace, your pets, uh, your plants, and then there's packing, and then there's getting here. Some of you drove very far or uh, you know, took other modes of transportation, and we know it isn't easy. I mean, we did all the same things just to get here. So congratulations that you all made it, and we know that your time here is uh, worthy of all of your efforts. It's a rare and precious time that we have together, and we're going to be offering you the teachings in the most appropriate and uh, the deepest way po- ways possible. And uh, we want you to really take care with your time here and we're going to support you with that to make the best use of your time here in the most balanced way because after all this is an equanimity retreat. Um, Many of you we heard are new to practice and we'd like to um, know who they are in the group. How many of you are new to this way of practice? Can you raise your hand? Okay. A special welcome to all of you, and we're going to be holding you with a lot of care in our instructions, and please feel free to ask us whatever you need to ask to keep you going here. Sometimes it can be a little bit daunting, you know, with the schedule. So, um, know that we can attend to each one of your individual needs as you Uh, speak with us about your practice. How many of you are new to IMS? That helps us to know. Yeah. Okay, welcome to all of you, too. This is one of the best places to practice in the world, I think, and uh, you're really lucky to be here. All of you are really lucky to be here. How many of you uh, have been here before at IMS before? Could you raise your hands quite high? And I'd like everybody to look around, the new people. You're held in a beautiful group of people, <laughs> those of you who, who are new here. There's a lot of pillars of the Dharma, as we call them. And um, we as teachers are also depending on you as the, as the ones who've been here before to hold the container of the retreat in a way that helps everyone as a group and uh, as individuals as well. So I'd like to introduce uh, those of us who are here to support you. Uh, Bryony told you about Jill already. Jill um, is over here in this corner. I think she stood up, and so you know who she is and uh, where she is, how to call her if, if you need some help. But we wanted you to know that we really uh, value Jill being on our support team. She's retreat support, so she's supporting you, and she's also supporting us as teachers. She has had a lot of practice, uh, a lot of deep practice, and also knows the ins and outs of being a yogi, and also being uh, on the support team here. She knows the ins and outs of things going on in retreat and in the community. So we, we give a lot of um, gratitude to Jill for, for helping us out and helping you out as well. So she'll be, she'll be here to support you in the balancing of your practice. And just all in all, the, the more here to support us, the better for all of us. On my left is Deborah. Um, she's been uh, a yogi for many, many years also, And uh, before she became a parent, she practiced as a nun in Burma for about a year under our uh, teacher, Sayadaw Upandita, um, one of of the oldest uh, and most um, venerable teachers of Burma. And so we're we're lucky to have Deborah also helping us here. Uh, Now, after ordaining as being a nun and then doing a lot of training as a teacher and also helping out in retreats and now teaching herself in retreats. Um, during, during that time, she became a mother of a beautiful four-year-old and with her husband is raising uh, a family in that way. So she's a family person, deeply uh, ensconced in the Dhamma as well. She has a lot to offer. And on my right is Steve uh, He's been also started his practice in the 70s, became a monk when he went in the 80s, uh, and he was a monk for about five or six years, and then came back to be a lay person, uh, as he is now offering the dhamma for many many years, and um, takes a lot of happiness and pride and pleasure in planting trees in in Maui where we both live. Uh, planting trees along with me, and we're um, developing a sanctuary of seclusion and silence there, kind of a hermitage, not a retreat center, but a hermitage there on Maui. So um, uh, it's good to be teaching with my husband, (laughs) and uh, I'm Kamala. Sometimes I get to this place of introducing myself and the paper's kind of empty, like what do I say about myself? (laughs) Well, uh, also started practicing in the 70s, ordained a couple of short times as a nun, raised, um, I'm a family person too, raised four kids and have five grandchildren now that Steve and I are shepherding along the way, all of them still. And um, I think all of us, and speaking for myself especially, found that there were a lot of resources in the Dhamma Uh, as I practiced, and we all have practiced deeply, to bring to our lives, to live a more peaceful life, to go through this kind of chaotic world sometimes, feeling a deeper peace inside, and then being able to use those resources to help others, our own families and people like you, just spreading it out as much as we can. Tonight, I... I'd like to begin the retreat by pointing out three qualities that allow us to undertake this time of training, this time of renunciation, in a way that will help us get through day by day and as the days go by we'll look back and feel stronger and stronger in our practice and in ourselves as human beings, so that eventually hopefully and probably will be able to, most probably, take the, the practice out into the world and really share it with others in our own unique ways. I'd like to read uh, the attached Dao um, De Ching passage to you. This is something I come back to over and over again, these three qualities, because no matter how long we've practiced, whether we're a beginner or we've done practice for 35 or 40 years, it's always good to come back to these three things, as the Tao Te Ching says. I have just three things to teach. Simplicity, patience, and compassion. These three are the greatest treasures. Simple in actions and thoughts, you return to the source of being patient with both both friends and enemies you accord with the way things are compassionate towards oneself you reconcile all beings in the world so these are the three things we hope that all of us can come back to when we feel things are getting too complicated for us and the instructions or just however, whatever you hear of the Dharma, whatever your inner world is doing, can you just come back to being simple? Just following the schedule in the best way you can, coming back to your breath, coming back to your body, feeling the presence within your body, within your heart, or wherever else maybe you've been given some recommendation or instruction to be so that It's easy for you. It's a place where you feel strength, where you feel confident in yourself. Simplicity really helps in that way, just so that uh, we're not making it too complex. Sometimes we tend to do that. We make it more complicated than we really need it to be. You're going to hear a lot of instructions that may help you in in the practice. and Sometimes it's helpful to just pick a few things that really keep you on your path. And sometimes if you try everything, you just get confused. So as you go along, just pick the things that really help you and then talk about it to one of us. You'll be having some check-in with one of us every other day. Uh, Each of you are going to have three times during this time of being here where you can check in with us and let us know what's going on and we can help you in your unique way of doing your practice. Our lives are so busy and it's so filled with, um, you know, busyness and distraction and multitasking that to be here and be simple and in this kind of schedule that we have, it can be challenging. We might feel that we're not doing enough, we're not connecting enough with the outside world. And that's an important thing to remember is uh, that we're really trying to connect with our own hearts. We're really trying to more deeply connect with the rhythms of our body, the rhythms and habit patterns of our minds and our hearts, and to do that, we really need to find a way to withdraw our attention from the outside world and to allow that the seclusion and the simplicity and the silence that we have here to really support us in connecting deeply with our own hearts. Not feeling that we have to connect or fix anybody else or make anybody else feel that they're loved or connected with outside of this place. We may find that strange or we may find that challenging to us, and we can work with that. We can find the ways that we need uh, to nurture ourselves and to find that deep way of self-caring that gives us a kind of nourishment that nobody else can give us. Only we can give ourselves that. So, we're here to support all of you in that. That busyness and distraction become the norm. And that's why it's so challenging sometimes to be in a place of simplicity like this, in a place of silence like this. So, the schedule is meant to keep us in a kind of in a way that we, oh, we know what we're doing. Okay, now is time for sitting. Now it's time for walking. Now it's time to hear a Dhamma talk or instructions, or to um, you know do, do our eating meditation. So please use that simplicity, that kind of uh, support that we give in the practice. Patience, something that we'll talk about during the retreat to remind us all of being mostly patient with ourselves. It's really easy to get frustrated with ourselves, to feel that we need to be accomplishing more in our practice or kind of doing the details of our life, and we're not doing them here, which is um, the point of being here, to kind of be away from that. So being patient with all of those feelings that come up, being patient with people around us, because sometimes maybe their rhythms are different from ours. So it's, it's really helpful to have that kind of patience that, um, where we feel really spacious about ourselves. We can feel really spacious about what goes on around us. So that's simplicity and patience and then compassion. We open to a lot of painful things that come up in our hearts, beautiful things also. Um, The beauty of really connecting with ourselves, the beauty of feeling unconditional love in ways that we may not have felt before. And sometimes that kind of Connecting with the, our inner beauty of our hearts, that place of really being safe, really feeling safe enough to open, gives us the opportunity to open bit by bit in the right timing to things that may be challenging for us to open to, and people around us also. Because this is an equanimity retreat, we hope to help you to open to all of that with a deep sense of balance also to open to the joys with a sense of balance. But as we go through the opening, we need a lot of compassion for ourselves and for others. This is a gentleness that we can have. So you can see compassion is more of a gentleness with ourselves, a gentleness with others. And we very spontaneously and organically know how we can come to that in our own ways as we Uh, unveil all the things that we come to see, come to feel in our own hearts, in our own minds. This is a powerful practice. The results are also powerful. So we need to handle ourselves and each other with a lot of spaciousness, a lot of patience, a lot of compassion. So I hope we all remember that as we go through our time here together and um, we'll support each other. The container of the retreat is really important to us so we're going to be helping one another keep the container of the retreat which each one of us is helping to keep together as individuals. So not only as individuals are we trying to pay attention to being together in this retreat but also as a container we will reflect on ourselves and see how are we carrying ourselves through this retreat so we're part of a respectful part of the container all together so I'd like to hand it over to Deborah, and she's going to talk a little bit about the refuges and precepts that we're going to take this evening and every morning.
1: Well, first off, I just wanted to, um, to add my welcome to Kamala's and to say also what a pleasure it is to be here with you. Um, the first night of a retreat like this is um, it's really kind of a special energy. I don't know if you guys can feel it, but to those of us that you know are here uh, watching all of you arrive, we can really feel that mix of you know, excitement, anticipation, uh, nervousness, maybe some fear. Um, there's really this air of setting out on a great journey, a great adventure, uh, which it really is. So there's this kind of excitement in the air. You know, we we tend to think about adventure as being kind of out there someplace, you know, like on the top of a mountain or at the bottom of an ocean or at the very least on another continent. But, you know, really for most of us, the, the greatest adventure is this one, this one that we're all embarking on here, this adventure of going... Inside, you know, to explore this vast, you know, either uncharted or partially charted territory of our own hearts, our own minds, our own bodies. So there's this sense in which we're we're setting out on this uh, great adventure, this epic journey together. So it's a very exciting time and very uh, joyful and inspiring for all of us. And it's traditional, you know, as Kamala was saying, as we start on a period of retreat like this. Uh, to start with what's called taking the refuges and the precepts. And those of you that have been here before are familiar with this. It's a way of establishing a foundation for this very special, uh, unusual period of time that we're going to spend together here in retreat. And it includes both our inner foundation, so our inner understanding that supports us being here, supports what we're doing, and also the outer foundation that supports how we interact and how we share the space together in a harmonious way. And it's an important and a time-honored way of uh, setting out on this journey together, setting the stage for what we're going to be doing together. So the first part called taking the refuges or going for refuge has to do mostly with our inner foundation for the retreat. This is uh, going to be, at times, a challenging experience. You know, Like any adventure, like any journey, there are going to be times when the going gets rough. It might be rough the whole time, for the whole journey, as some of us know. So we start off by reflecting on where can we turn for support? What can we look to for strength to help us through the difficult times? And for each of us, that foundation that we draw our inspiration, that we draw our confidence from, it's going to be very personal. It's a very individual thing, how we frame that, how we think about that, how we feel it. But as a starting point, as a kind of a common ground, we can reflect on what's called the three refuges. The refuges of the Buddha, the Dhamma or Dharma, and the Sangha. So we start the retreat by taking a little time to reflect on those. And the Buddha, of course, was a historical figure. He's this guy here, our good friend, who lived about 2,500 years ago in relatively comfortable circumstances, as probably most of us here do. He belonged to a relatively wealthy and powerful family in northern India. But he became dissatisfied with his life. And so he set out on this quest, on his journey, his epic journey to find deeper meaning, to find some reliable and stable peace in his life. And he succeeded. He found a path that led to greater peace. He found a path that led to the end of all of his suffering. And he spent the next 45 years sharing what he had learned with others. And for some people, the story of the Buddha's life is very inspiring, that here was a human being just like us, who achieve deep and lasting peace and contentment through just this very same practice that we're going to be doing here. And also, in more of a kind of archetypal sense, the Buddha represents the highest potential that's present in all of us. He was very clear you know, throughout all his years of teaching and saying that he was not a god, he was not a deity, he was not superhuman in any way, but instead completely human, fully human, a human being that had woken up to his full potential. And that same potential is in all of us, that same nature of awakening, that same possibility. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, we're really taking refuge in human potential, which is also our potential, just because we're human. It's not actually a personal thing at all, so we don't need to feel like I can do this. I have personally the resources to, to awaken, to deepen, to grow. It's really not personal in that sense. It's an innate capacity that we all share, just as we all have the innate capacity for language, for interaction, to use our hands, to use tools. You know, These are basic human capacities, and this capacity for awakening Is the same way. So we can draw faith and confidence from the example of the Buddha, you know, this real living human being just like us that did really pretty much just what we're going to be doing here the next nine days and was radically transformed by it. The refuge of the Dhamma has a few different meanings. On the simplest level, it refers to the body of the teachings that were left to us by the Buddha during all his years of ministry. His explanation of the truth, which is what we're going to be putting into practice here as we sit and walk and pay attention. And those teachings are very well field tested. They were tested by the Buddha himself and they've been tested by generation after generation of practitioners over hundreds of years Practitioners like us, yogis, people who refined and confirmed the usefulness of these teachings. And the reason that we're still here doing this, you know, here in 2010, more than 2,500 years after the Buddha's life, is that this works. This practice is effective. These teachings have benefits. So we can take refuge and have confidence that what we're doing here has been well thought out. It's been well verified, and they can be helpful for us too. On a more subtle level, the Dhamma refers not just to the Buddha's presentation of the truth, but to our own personal experience of the truth, which is maybe more relevant here. It's what we're here to connect with, as Kamala was saying. So as we sit and we walk and we pay attention and we notice what's going on, What we're going to observe and learn about is just what it means to be human and just how this particular human organism functions, this one that we walk around within, the skin that we inhabit. And the details of that are going to be completely unique for each of us. No two of you are going to have exactly the same retreat experience. What unfolds will be based on our particular personality our life experiences, our history, our temperament, our conditioning, all of these different factors. But whatever our particular experience is, by definition, it will be an authentic and genuine reflection of human experience. So we can also trust and take refuge in that, just in the truth and the validity of our experience, whatever it might be from moment to moment. So another way of thinking about that is that we could say that there's no way to have a wrong experience here, which is something that, that we can fall into worrying about. You know, I'm not doing it right. The right things aren't happening. Whatever arises in the mind and the body, because we're human, it's a valid expression of humanity. It's a valid expression of our humanity and our life. So that can be a great source of support and reassurance. And there are times when we need to remember that. The refuge of the Sangha is the community of beings that are walking together on this path that was taught by the Buddha. So one meaning of that is that it's the group of people that have done this practice, the same one that we're doing here, and have had a real taste of what the Buddha meant by freedom from suffering, what he actually meant by that, how it plays out. Enough of a taste to have a clear An accurate understanding of what the Buddha was talking about. And around the world today and throughout history, there are and there have been people that have accomplished this. So we can also take refuge in their example and in their legacy. Thousands, probably millions of people over the past 2,500 years have done pretty much just what we're doing here and benefited from it. And so can we. And not only have they benefited from it, but they passed it on. They passed on what they've learned so that these teachings are available to us here today. Another way of thinking about the Sangha is, as of all the beings that are walking on this path right now, looking to reduce suffering in the world by cultivating wisdom, by cultivating compassion, And that includes all of us here, as well as many, many others around the world at this very moment. And we can provide each other with a vital support in this process. There's a reason why we come together in a group to do this. There's value added from it. And this is very clear here on retreat, how we support each other. We can draw so much patience and so much strength from each other. Just looking around and seeing everybody around us engaged in this process, You know, when things get really hard, you know, we can kind of look around the room a little bit and say, you know, well, everybody else is still going. So, you know, maybe I can keep going, you know, just the next sitting, just the next walking. I can make it through till tomorrow. So we all walk this path together and just really by the simple fact of being here without doing anything in particular, we offer this this tremendous support to each other. So this is just a very brief introduction to the refuges, and there's many different ways of interpreting these over the course of spiritual life. As some of you may have seen, uh, our thinking about them evolves, and what they what they mean, their significance evolves. So it's an ongoing exploration. It's an aspect of the practice, and the point in taking the refuges is not uh, just to adopt some blind faith or to make a pledge of allegiance to some doctrine, just because you know we sit up here and tell you you should, it's really a chance to reflect on you know, what is really our deepest sense of confidence? What is our basis of strength that we can draw from for doing this practice? What is it that brings us here, that keeps us here? The second part of this opening ritual is what we call taking the precepts, which we're gonna do shortly. And this is the part that has more to do with the outer foundation for the retreat. As Kamala was speaking about, it has to do with creating the container, the safe space for this retreat. Um, this amazing process that always astonishes me and how a group of people like this that you know, are gathered from all different places, you know, many of us have never met before, and somehow for these nine days, we really come together and form uh, a Dharma family here for the time that we're on retreat. So we set the ground rules at the beginning for how we're gonna relate, how we're gonna aspire to relate to each other during this time, so that the Sangha, this community can function in harmony, so that it can function smoothly, and that it can be the refuge and the support that we all need for this practice. And in essence, the precepts are very simple. Um, One of the the other retreats that I teach here every summer is the uh, family retreat. And we talk about the precepts with the kids, you know, and some of the kids are, you know, four, five, six years old, and we tell them uh, that the precepts are really simple. They're just basically about doing our best not to bother each other while we're here, (laughs) which is really actually a pretty good practice to take into everything we do in life, whether it's here or elsewhere. But in order to make that a little clearer, in order to make it a little more concrete, We traditionally agree to take on five guidelines for our conduct, which we call the training precepts. And again, these aren't meant to be seen as, you know, commandments or even really as rules um, that are, you know, externally imposed by some kind of higher power or authority. But instead, they're a social contract that we enter into voluntarily, you know, as intelligent and mature adults out of the understanding that it's going to be beneficial both for our own practice and for the practice of all of us here if we can get along well, if we can live in harmony. The first of the training precepts is usually not too difficult for most of us to get behind. It's the commitment to not deliberately kill or physically harm other living beings so hopefully it's not gonna to be too much of an issue to you know, avoid actively attacking each other. You know, I think we can all manage that. But there's obviously more subtle aspects to this precept that it can be really interesting to explore while we're here. So we can consider our relationship to all of the various small beings that we share the space with and really make that commitment to, to live and let live, you know, at least for the time that we're here. It might involve being sensitive about how we share the space with each other. So moving carefully, moving quietly, so that we don't bother each other, we don't disturb each other in the process that we're involved in. You know, taking that care to to cover our mouths when we cough or sneeze, you know, not to spread those little beings around that could that could harm our fellow yogis, keeping our hands clean. So all these things are a way of showing our mutual respect and our mutual compassion and caring for each other, that we're all here caring for each other, even though we might not be uh, actively expressing that, just in the way that we're living. The second training precept is to avoid stealing. And again, you know, this is one that probably we don't need to worry too much about, you know, people deliberately taking each other's things which is one of the delightful things about being in a community like this. Uh, when I first came here about 15 years ago, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an East Coast city girl, born and raised, and it really freaked me out that there's you know, no locks on the doors, there's no locks on any of the doors, there's no place to put things that's, that's secure. It was really foreign to me. Um, but over the years, I've come to appreciate just how beautiful this is, you know, that this is a safe place because, because of this training that we all engage in together, because of this commitment that we make to live together harmoniously and not to try not to to bother each other. So in a broader sense, this precept is really about not taking or using anything around the center here that's not ours or not explicitly offered for our use. You know, A lot of things kind of tend to get left lying around here just because of the nature of the space and how the community operates. And it might not always be clear you know, who something belongs to or if it's really offered for our use. So the best rule of thumb is that if it's not clear, then just you know, let it be or ask somebody. You know, we we tell the kids, you know, just don't mess with each other's stuff because we feel very open, we feel very vulnerable when we're here and it can be very disturbing just you know, even to come and find that something we've left some, somewhere has, you know, moved a foot to the left, you know, this can become a big deal on retreat. So just to really respect each other's things and uh, to to limit ourselves to our own belongings. The next precept is the one that applies specifically to the retreat setting here, and that's taking on the training of sexual abstinence during the retreat. And that applies both to sexual activity with others and to sexual activity by ourselves. And the idea here is not that sexuality is somehow, you know, intrinsically low or not spiritual or anything like that. It's really just an issue of, again, respect and also practicality during the retreat. So we all know that sexual energy is a really powerful force and how we use it can have a big effect on those around us, especially here. You know, we're living in this large, mostly silent group in very close quarters, and the walls are thin. (laughs) But just aside from that aspect of it, you know, we're all here trying to cultivate awareness and presence. So it only makes sense to abstain from those activities that are basically gonna serve as a distraction or an escape from just really noticing what's happening. And the fact is that it's very common for sexual or romantic thoughts and feelings to arise and retreat. You know, that's perfectly natural. It's, again, a perfectly normal aspect of our humanity. Or maybe we're here with a partner. You know, we may feel that urge to, to look to them for that familiar source of comfort or even just a few moments of distraction a diversion. But what's really going to be most helpful to our practice and most supportive to those around us is to really just let those thoughts and feelings be, to just let them be what they are, to notice them, and to take advantage of this opportunity to learn about them without just automatically uh, acting on them, to just let them be what they are. The fourth training precept that we undertake together is what we call noble silence. And this is a big one here. You've already heard a little bit about it. So on retreat, this really means not intruding on each other's introspection with unnecessary communication, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. And if you've never been on a retreat like this before, or even if you have, at first, this can seem really weird. You know, it can seem really bizarre. It's just so different uh, from how we're used to relating. You know, that you come here and, you know, not only do we advise you, you know, not to speak with each other, but even not to gesture, not to make eye contact, to really uh, find this way of sharing the space without directly interacting. It's a very uh, kind of odd way of being. But actually, it's a great gift that we give each other. And it's also again, an, ex- an expression of our respect for each other, an expression of our caring and compassion for each other, to just really let each other be you know with our own inner process, without interfering, without imposing on each other, without kind of uh, inserting ourselves into each other's process, to really uh, allow each of us to have our own space and time to do this inner work. <coughs> and if you're not used to this uh, I just want to uh, mention that it can be helpful not to be fooled by kind of the outer appearance. You know, if you kind of walk around, you know, if somebody came into this group and just saw us all here kind of walking around in silence, not looking at each other, you know, if we look around each other, you see all these blank faces. Uh, The blank faces don't mean that the mind is blank or that the heart is blank. You know, behind that face that's kind of keeping the door closed to interaction. There's a lot going on, and that's going on within all of us. You know? So, so the, kind of the outer facade belies everything that's stirring inside. And there can be a tremendous amount of very beautiful things going on, even though the face may look blank. So uh, not to project that uh, you know, people around us are cold or indifferent. Uh, it's a different way of expressing that caring. It's just really that we're taking a break from the active expression of the caring. But so the caring can still be there. And it can be very interesting to explore. You know, are there other ways that we can reach out to each other besides that interaction? You know, can we open our hearts to each other without having to speak or even make eye contact? It's, it's possible and it's very beautiful. And at the end of the retreat, you know, there'll be time for all of us to talk and to connect with those that we want to connect with and to say all the things that we all want to say. But this time that we have in silence together is really Uh, precious and really rare, and uh, we tend not to realize until the end of the retreat just what a a special thing it is, but when we break the silence, then then we realize. There's a particular aspect to this this precept, this training (coughs) precept uh, that's kind of a symptom of our modern age, which is that, uh, you know, these days not only do we interact with each other in kind of the traditional face-to-face method, but we also have Uh, All sorts of electronic options for interacting with each other. So, you know, by phone, by text, by computer, email, voicemail, um, you know, there are all sorts of different ways (laughs) that we can extend our interaction out into the world these days. And I know you've heard this already, but uh, I just want to uh, urge you again, exhort you, uh, encourage you with as much uh, urging as I can arouse that if you have. uh, a communication device with you—you you know, a phone or a computer or whatever it might be—to uh, let that device have a retreat during this time as well. You know, they need a break as well. We we put them through a lot, so you know, if you have some loose ends to finish up, to maybe take care of those tonight, you know, say your last goodbyes. You can give the contact information in the office to, to anybody that you know you think might really need to contact you while you're here, and then turn it off and put it at the bottom of the suitcase, or maybe even give it to the office for safekeeping and uh, put the suitcase under the bed. And just really uh, give yourself a chance to take a break from, from all of that uh, distraction that those things can be a source of. And also just to, to mention that we don't need to be uh, so serious and so grim about the silence that we keep here. You know, so there may be times when you know we're going through the food line, and you know, your eyes kind of meet somebody else on the other side of the table, and a you know, smile just naturally comes, and you know, the other person returns it, and oops, you know, we've, we've broken the rule, you know, we've made eye contact, we've had some communication. And that's okay, you know, those things happen. So we don't need to be rigid uh, and feel uh, judgmental about this precept. It's just to, to really have that caring and concern, and to do our best to protect each other, to protect our own silence, and then what happens, happens. So the last training precept that we take on during our time here is uh, sobriety. And again, this only makes sense because we're here to cultivate awareness and presence. So any kind of recreational substance that clouds the mind is only going to undermine those efforts. And it may also put us at risk of doing something else that, that bothers our fellow yogis. So if that kind of activity is part of our lives, then for the time that we're here, we just set that aside. That's just something that we give up during this time. But it's important to understand that this um, precept doesn't apply to prescription medications. So anything that we might be taking for uh, physical well-being or mental well-being, it's important that you keep taking those. Also, kind of in in this vein, uh, if caffeine or nicotine are things that your system is accustomed to receiving for kind of smooth functioning, uh, we recommend that you continue with your normal routine, whatever that might be, you don't need to feel that you have to to renounce those things uh, during your time here. On the other hand, uh, if you find yourself kind of gravitating towards the T-bar during every walking period, uh, rather than just uh, having your your ordinary cup that you have at breakfast, then that's something that it could be interesting to uh, you know explore what's behind that and to notice those uh, those drives. So that's the basic foundation that we lay for our time here together, and uh, Steve is going to talk a little bit more about some some additional supports we have, uh, but I just wanted to say, kind of in closing, that. Uh, I wish you all a wonderful retreat, and I wish us all uh, very supportive and uh, encouraging uh, conditions, and that we may all share this time together harmoniously and, and be this great support of Sangha for each other on this, uh, this great journey that we're embarking on.
2: Earlier this afternoon when we received the um, list of uh, people who were attending and were told that there were uh, 20 or so that were here for their first retreat and 30-some that were here for the first time to IMS, Um, it it caused me to reflect on my first retreat and I was just kind of like stunned for a while that there are people here doing their first retreat. (laughs) And uh, I remember what a <clears throat> exciting, challenging, terrorizing, terrifying uh, uh, thing it was uh, for me. And uh, I promised uh, Kamala and Deborah that we would be uh, kind and gentle to, to all of you and still offer something challenging for those of you who've been practicing with us or uh, other dharma teachers for decades. So. Um, we'll see how we do. (laughs) Um, I, too, want to welcome you all to uh, the retreat. Um, I think it is the most important thing you can do in your life. And I want to uh, uh, congratulate you for caring about yourself enough (laughs) to... Uh, take this opportunity to look deeply and to see uh, where the source of uh, discontentment or suffering is in your life, and to uh, practice uh, letting that go. Uh, It was hard when I started, but the benefits and the rewards are immense. Uh, and hopefully it won't take you uh, three and a half decades. But uh, even in the course of nine days, it can be a powerful uh, awakening uh, to uh, the way it is in our minds and our hearts. So without too much further ado, I'd like to um, formally uh, open the retreat with the taking of the refuges and precepts, and Deborah has uh, adequately and and very clearly uh, explained the refuges and the first five precepts. I want to mention the, uh, you can see that there are eight precepts on this page. There's an additional three, number six, seven, and eight, and these are also training rules but they're not the training rules of non harming, like the first five are all non harming training rules. The sixth, seventh, and eighth hour are, are uh, training rules for practicing renunciation, for greater, uh, actually, internal commitment to um, letting go of that which is often a distraction or. Uh, is sometimes seen as an uh, impediment to to practice. These are voluntary. These are not uh, requirements, so to speak, uh, of being here. It is traditional in Asian countries where our, where we've all practiced and where this tradition of practice comes from it is traditional for lay people like ourselves to take these three precepts, these three additional precepts, whenever they do a formal retreat. And many of you who have practiced in Asia who have practiced for some time like to take them or find it beneficial or useful. And others of you may wish to try it. You can try it for the whole retreat or you can try it for even one day of the retreat. That's really up to you. But the precepts, the sixth, seventh, and eighth are, the sixth is to refrain from eating solid food after the noontime meal. And traditionally this is a rule that the monks and nuns at the time of the Buddha and since then have lived with. Um, Originally to keep the monks and nuns from wandering through the village looking for food late in the day, but also out of recognition that it takes a lot of effort to um, prepare and to eat and to clean up. and, And then it takes a lot of internal energy just to digest the food, which late in the day can be kind of draining and tiring. So even though it might seem counterintuitive, often to not eat solid food in the evening is actually energizing while on retreat rather than draining. But most of us are are used to eating in the evening, and even the thought of not eating afternoon can be pretty challenging. So you can consider it. If you want to try and see how it is for you, fine. That's a noble and a energetic thing to do. But of course, if you have any kind of uh, health condition or concern or whatever it is, then of course uh, there'll be a simple meal uh, uh, in the evening and you can uh, take uh, what you wish of that. The sixth precept, or the seventh precept, is to refrain from singing, dancing, adorning, entertainment, which is not gonna be very difficult to avoid here. Uh, None of us will be singing, none of us will be dancing, there's no TV to watch for entertainment, so you're mostly uh, off the hook, or you'll mostly be keeping this precept anyway. But if you want to take it as a formal practice, a commitment to practice, you might consider how you could uh, practice some additional level of renunciation by taking this precepts, precept. And part of it is about adorning the body. And you might consider how you could renounce some amount of adorning, beautifying, pampering the body in that way. And it might be not wearing jewelry. It might be you know, not wearing makeup or um, not looking in the mirror to adjust your hair more than once a day, or whatever it is, but just some level of renunciation, and just watching how that affects your mind, what you see going on in your own heart, energetically around that behavior, a very time-consuming behavior, I might add, for many of us. The eighth precept is to undertake the training to refrain from the use of high and luxurious beds and chairs. As I usually or often ask on retreat, have you seen a high and luxurious bed or chair? If you can find one, well, avoid it. <laughs> now, why, why, why do they do that? Actually, at the time of the Buddha, uh, this, in, this 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 in precept was uh, there were certain uh, beds and chairs that were high and luxurious, and then lug- luxury being uh, uh, a possible seduction where you just lose yourself in it and you lose your awareness in just indulging in the pleasure of luxury and so that's that 's one piece. Um, the technical details is not to sit in chairs and beds that have carved ornaments, uh, either in the legs or the feet of them or a canopy overhead, because it had something to do with royalty rather than just being an ordinary um, human, recognizing that. So a way to practice that here, if you wish, is to possibly not lie down other than for the time you sleep at night, not to indulge in the lying down posture, or it might be not to indulge in sitting in chairs that are upholstered, but only sitting in wooden chairs or hardback chairs or whatever, just as a way of taking some level of renunciation, if you want to take this uh, uh, precept as a training rule for renunciation. And these, as I mentioned, six, seven, and eight are um, voluntary or they're just additional precepts if you wish to take them. Tonight, To open the retreat, uh, we'll take the refuges and the five precepts and those who wish to take the additional three precepts or those who know they'll be taking the additional three precepts for either all or some of the retreat, I will offer them to you this evening also. We'll do this by my chanting one word or a phrase or a line, and you can repeat after me. We'll be chanting in Pali, the language that the Buddha's teachings are recorded in. And this is on the left-hand side of the page, and on the right-hand side of the page is the English translation. As you can see, the first section is paying homage to the Buddha. Then we take the refuges three times. We take the precepts once each, at the end of which we acknowledge our aspiration that and our wish that these practices this this practice of Sila uh, may it support or may it uh, conduce to our attaining of what we say here is the highest fruits of liberation but actually it says may may my Sila conduce to enlightenment Maybe we don't know what that is, so just we can say highest spiritual attainment. So please join me in taking the refuges and precepts. <clears throat> please repeat after me <clears throat> Namo, Namo, Tassa Bhagavato. Tassa Bagawato Arahato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Samma Namo Namo Tassa Bhagavato, Tassa Bhagavato, Arahato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Sama Namo, 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 Tassa bhagavato, Tassa 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 bhagavato, Arahato, 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 Sama, Sambudasa, Sama, Sambudasa, Budang Sarananga Chami, Budang Damang Saranaga Chamī, Damang Saranaga <Brusselsmusimus> Chamī, Sangang Saranaga Chamī, Sangang Saranaga Ampi Budang Saranaga Chamī, Duti Ampi Budang Saranaga Duty ampy, damungs are anunga charmi. Duty ampy, damungs are anunga charmi. Duty ampy, sangungs Dati Budang P, boodongs are ananga charmi. Dati am P, da mongs are ananga charmi. Panati Panatipata Panati we ramani, we ramani, Sika badang, Sika badang, Samadia me, Samadia dana, hadina dana, we ramani, we ramani, Sika badang. Sikha Badang Samadhyami Samadhyami ha prahma ha weyramani Ve-Ramani Ve-Ramani Sikha Badang, Sikha badang. Sikha badang. Samadhyami. Samadhyami. Musawada Musalada weyramani. ramani Sika badang Sika, Sika badang, Sika badang, mi, mi, Sika mi, Sura meria, Sura meria, maja tana, Majapamada maja tana, Wayramani, Wayramani, Sika badang, Sika badang, badang Samadia me, Just There's a show of hands. How many of you know you'll be taking the eight precepts or might like to try the eight precepts? Okay, there's a dozen or twenty of you, so. So those of you who have some interest in that, please uh, take these additional three precepts and repeat after me. We cala bojana, we kala bojana, we ramani, we ramani, sika badang, sika badan, samadhyami. Smadi Ami, Nacha Gita, Nacha Gita, Warita, Warita, We suka dasana, We dasana, Malaganda, Malaganda, We lapena, Darana, Darana, Mandana, Mandana, We boosanatana, We We ramani, we ramani, sika badang, sika badang, Samadhyami, Samadhyami, ucha sayana, ucha sayana, maha sayana, maha ramani, we ramani, sika badang, sika badang, Samadhyami, Samadhyami, Samadhyami. and all of us together irang mesilang, idang irang me silam, maghapala jnana sa, maghapala sa, ho tu. So each morning, at the sitting before breakfast at 5.30, we will chant the refuges and precepts again each day as a way of um, re, uh, reminding ourselves of our aspiration to take refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha and as an expression of our recommitment to living in harmony uh, within this community. So... Uh, for the first few mornings, I'll lead you, as I just did. And after you are familiar with the chanting, we can uh, chant in unison each morning. So, again, thank you all for uh, bringing your interest and energy to uh, share with us all here. And I'm sure uh, it'll be a, a wonderful Uh, experience for all of us so why don't we get some rest so we can uh, pick up where we left off uh, tomorrow morning someone will be so kind as to ring the bell to pull us out of our slumber and to invite us to come practice the Dharma so when you hear the bell at uh, five o'clock think of it as a with a lot of gratitude <laughs> uh, that somebody is so kind to wake up before you and to call you to come practice the Dhamma with the rest of us. We'll see you then. <laughs> Thank you for listening.